When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the 11th episode of the Counterpunch Podcast, a weekly Cracked Rackets production. Alongside my co-host, Archit Suresh, I'm Richard Mai, and we're here to break down, analyze, and yes, sometimes argue about the biggest pro tennis headlines. It's been way too long, Archit. It really uh, has, yes. I am doing phenomenal as always. I'm quite sad though, because we did miss quite a few episodes, and I did miss hearing your voice, even though it was all over phone call. Yeah, we, we, we've talked, I think, a fair amount over yeah, the um, however long, weeks long break. Um, but we've both been up to some very exciting stuff. Um, and I mean, that's the first topic we have right now is Atlanta, which you spent a week at. I know uh, we were talking, you said it was a little bit of a blur, but give me the give me the down low from the grounds. Yeah. I mean, first of all, may I just say it was a pleasure to be credentialed at my home tournament, the tournament that I grew up going to. Um, just an unreal experience in terms of getting to be on-site media at that event for the entire week. Got to talk to so many players that we're familiar with here at Crack Rackets. Excuse me, Cracked Rackets. Wow, we've done this so long. We haven't done this in so long. I've forgotten how to talk. But uh, you know, it was just a joy to be able to chat with so many former collegiate players, young American stars, even just. But any chance you get to ask Hey Nishikori a question in a press conference, like that's just something that you dream for, right? In this industry. So a reminder, you know, thank you for the, a reminder, thank you for the text that you sent me uh, midweek in Atlanta, <laughs> just reminding me what it's, what it's like to actually have like a realistic, um, you know, home tournament to get credentialed for. Um, don't know when I will get credentialed for the U S uh, for the U S open, which would be my home tournament. That We're making it happen in 2023. Um, you heard it here um, first, guys. USTA, if you'd like to help me out, uh, would be greatly appreciated. But <laughs> with that said, a lot of really awesome tennis uh, down in Atlanta. So let's talk about it. Taylor Fritz comes away with the win. Big win for him. I mean, like you saw it better than I did. He played great all week, but you had the front row seat. Yeah, quite literally, I was lucky enough to have a front row seat at his match. At one point, I was sitting right behind his box, and I was sit, like, sitting exactly one row behind Michael Russell, yelling at Taylor Fritz to be aggressive and step up in the court, and Taylor yelling right back. So that's how that went. But in all seriousness, it was incredible to be honest to see Taylor win that tournament. Given that he ex- and he explained this in his post-match press conference was that you know he had been coming to this tournament since maybe 2015 2016 and he'd previously reached a final reached a semi-final and honestly he was just like relieved to get a win in and finally come away with the trophy in Atlanta I'm not really sure if he was coming back to be honest if he lost the final to Vukic he might have just said I'm over and done with this tournament I'm never coming back but yeah I thought it was a really high level of tennis from Fritz 
he didn't lose a set until the final of the tournament where, I mean, Vukic, the former Illini men, former fighting Illini, well, he's always going to be one, but kind of a stalwart of those 2015 teams in Illinois, at the Illinois program. I can't even believe that at one point Vukic was playing five, by the way, in that lineup, which is completely ridiculous. But yeah, his run was really special. Sorry, I know I was getting sidetracked there, but the college tennis nerd in me just had to let that one out. But no, I mean, it's a fair point. You look at Vukic's road to the final. He had a great week from defeating the NCAA champion to Nishioka, Chris Eubanks coming off that hot hot run at Wimbledon, Uh, Ugo Umber, who's always uh, such a fighter and such a tough opponent to look at. And then to take Taylor Fritz to uh, to three sets, take him the distance, and it was a pretty tight three sets to add to it. So, I mean, yeah. had a, and had Fritz a great even week. yeah, and Fritz even mentioned. I asked him this question because he, he had mentioned that he came out maybe a little nervy, and I asked him, you know, was that kind of a reflection of being the top seed and being the the guy really in going into this final because he was unequivocally the favorite. And it's one of the few times where Fritz has got entered, you know, a tournament as the favorite to win and been in the final as, you know, expected to win. Cause that wasn't the case when he won Indian Wells. We certainly expected Nadal to win that. Obviously, you know, rib injuries happen and that was part of the game. But Fritz mentioned, you know, I got a little tight at the start of the first set and I felt like I really had to work my way into the match. And he ultimately did come away with that first set and had a little bit of a blip in the second set when Vukic started to fight back. But I think that was more Vukic playing well than Fritz playing badly. But then he was able to bring it back together in the third set and come away with a win. I think that was his only break of the... Yeah, that was the only break of the set. And I mean, Vukic never managed to break Fritz at all. So, you know, that's... That's just how we go sometimes. I think maybe, maybe you know, those nerves are kind of a reason why Fritz has struggled a little bit in those early slam losses. And, you know, going in as the favorite surely can't be easy when you're expected to win all these matches. It becomes really tough to close out certain guys who know they're going to give everything at you with everything they've got. So, you know, maybe... Maybe this title will be a big confidence boost for Fritz and, you know, he'll go into this North American hardcourt swing ready to really attack the rest of the tour and hopefully, you know, come away with some more titles or, you know, deep runs at the slam, which ultimately should be the main goal for him. I also think something to note uh, for sure about Atlanta is just the depth and the strength of the draw. Mm -hmm. Um, When the Atlanta draw came out, just the first thing that you note is how many strong players you're looking at here. There's very minimal names that like I, when I read this draw, I didn't recognize their name. Um, Even going as far as like an Alex Mickelson who made um, a great run at uh, in Newport uh, the week prior. Then you look at the seeds, all such strong players. There's so much to be proud of for deep runs here. Let me ask what would you say would be your match of the tournament? If you could pick one. Hmm. If that's possible. I mean, I don't know if I could pick one, but I'll throw a few out there. I thought yeah. one, one of the matches of the tournament was the Nasi Kokonakis's 
big comeback win against Gael Monfils in yeah. the round of 32. Um, that was a crackling night session. It was, you know, just incredible match start to finish. Really, really high energy and a big, big win for um, Kokonakis. Other than that, um, I would have to say... So you got, I thought the final was honestly very, very good. Yeah. I thought the level displayed there was incredible. Vukic played a real almost every single Alex Vukic match I would have to throw in there just because of the phenomenal run and the comebacks we saw from you know being down a set in four two, I believe it was to or well he got up four two and then it was just unreal. Like the match against Ugo Umbert, particularly in the semifinals, was just flawless in terms well there were certainly flaws but in terms of drama like you can't ask for much more than that and then i would have to give a shout out finally to chris eubanks's win over brandon nakashima that's what i was gonna say another night session which was really really close and that was a great match tennis yeah so final thoughts from atlanta what can we take out of this moving forward taylor fritz is gonna have a lot of uh, confidence. I think that's the main thing that we're going to hit out here is the importance of this tournament as a confidence booster for moving into this hardcore season. Arguably a, one of the tougher parts of the season because everything's been building up to this. You have so many Masters 1000s coming up. Uh, obviously the US Open. What can we take out of Atlanta? I have so many takeaways to be honest, but I think Number one, the the depth of American men is phenomenal. Like the guys in this draw, Chris Eubanks, Taylor Fritz, obviously winning the event. You know, um, just like Ben Shelton, even though he lost to Jerry Shang, clearly, you know, a a guy to watch, especially on the hard courts where he's had his most success. But you know, JJ Wolf reaching the semifinals, playing honestly a really high level match. That's one I wanted to throw in there. Even though that was straight sets, it wasn't straightforward for Fritz. That was a very high level match. JJ certainly had his chances, but the crowd were enthralled with him throughout the week. So uh, the it's depth the of the power American of the mullet, man. man. It's the power yeah, of the mullet. Exactly. And again, just another thing is, you know how real the college system is. And this is more a broad takeaway for the entire year, but college tennis is a legitimate pathway to the pros. And I hope that's very evident because now Alex Vukic solidifies himself in the top 100, reached a career high of 60 something, but he's, you know, I I think he would have been top 50 if he had won the final, but you know, he's, he's, his rankings now in the sixties and that clearly meant a lot to him. He got a little bit emotional when that was mentioned to him after the match. And yeah. And I even got the chance to ask him after the final, even though he had lost, it was such a big breakthrough week for him that, you know, does he notice the level of college tennis and how it's been seen in the pros recently, given with all the success that, you know, Ben Shelton's had Ethan Quinn making his appearance in the main draw here. Um, Diana Schneider obviously was you know elite an elite player before college, but just so many guys, Cam Nori, Francisco Sarundolo, like there's a legitimate possibility that we could have multiple college tennis guys in the top ten in a couple of years, five years, which sounds crazy to say, really. 
But yeah, I mean, that's just something that was just clearly evident in the way that Vukic felt that college tennis had really prepared him for this moment. And yeah, just a phenomenal experience for him and great for college tennis fans to see. Definitely. And moving from Atlanta to some more recent stuff, a lot of great tennis happening this week. We're going to focus on Washington, D.C., but we have to quickly bring up at his home tournament, Dominic team has finally made an ATP tour uh, final. First, uh, first tournament final on the ATP tour since the 2020 tour finals. What do we make of this run for him? What can we take away moving forward? Like, is this a glimmer of hope for the next few weeks? Is this just a blip in time? How do you see this? I mean, time will only tell, but I can't help but not be excited and encouraged by the form that team has shown this week. I think, first of all, like, I don't think there's anyone who has a bad thing or negative thing to say about Dominic team, especially after the injury issues that he struggled with post the U.S. Open win. But... I mean, it's just so remarkable to see how well team played in, especially his semifinal match, which to me was by far the best that he's played, beating uh, Laszlo Jera in a tight three-setter, winning 10-8 in the third set tiebreak, and saving three match points in that third set. And I believe every single one of them was with a confident serve plus one forehand. And... The, you could tell the power was there, but most importantly, the instinct to always go for it, even when he was missing and to keep that confidence going. I think that was a crucial thing for team that he's been missing for a couple of years now, really. So it, it's really encouraging to see him back playing at that level and back in an ATP final. I mean, I'm not predict. I'm not going to predict anything, but I think this is clearly a good sign. He's now back into the top 100 in the live rankings and you know, I I really do feel like this could lead to bigger and better things. You certainly feel like if, if Dominic team is going to go on a run and, you know, get close to the team of old, then you'd have to look at this week in his home tournament as a turning point. For sure. I mean, like, I know we're supposed to be going back and forth, but I, you know, you can't help disagreeing. I mean, Dominic team pre like, back in like your, your thing like the 2020 era and like all of those French Open finals the US Open win was one of my favorite players on tour hands down the tennis that he plays is so captivating when you watch it the level of power and that confidence he has such a killer instinct that you touched on that's so captivating to watch his tennis maybe isn't it's not as smooth as like a Roger Feather, Federer but like it's but just the precise. Raw explosive power. It's yeah. precise. Yeah. And it's so much fun to watch, especially when he's on. Like when he's on, one of my favorites to watch, genuinely. I mean, watching his like Indian Wells run was one of my favorite things. Like it was so captivating to watch that journey. Um, and he played so well throughout. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what's really been missed too, in terms of like people at the top of the game. And I think Carlos Alcaraz kind of has taken over that mantle in a way of people who play, you know, exciting, risky, somewhat risky, but with margin tennis that, you know, is 
taking the ball early and on the rise, really uh, like asserting yourself into a game. That's what Dominic team does. That's what Carlos Alcaraz does. That's what guys like Stan Wawrinka do. Stan Wawrinka also making a final, by the way, but just, just an incredible, incredible sight to see for Dominic team and you sorely can, missed. Yeah. So. I mean, you can see the aggression when you like all those players that use name, you can see the aggression in their strokes. Like you said, taking balls early, really moving into the court, playing the aggressive side. And it's so much fun to watch when, when they're really on their game and, you know, we can touch on Alcaraz later. Cause I mean, that Wimbledon final was, you know, unreal exam, like exhibit a of everything we just said. Yeah. Uh, with that said, Washington, D.C. is going on right now. Just, yeah. I mean, Taylor Fritz, if I, was that was that a few minutes ago? Finished a three-hour thriller against Andy Murray? Yeah, essentially. I mean, feel certainly feels like it, right? I know. Um, but, I mean, Taylor Fritz coming in as the one seed should definitely feel really good. But what a stack draw all throughout. Um, just sending a few, you, you have, uh, Taylor Fritz, Nakashima, Andy Murray, Chris Eubanks, Lloyd Harris, always a sneaky one. Kevin Anderson is there. Can never count him out. Um, Adrian Manorino, who be her catch our good friend, uh, over here at CR Bradley Klon, uh, Jerome, JJ Wolf, and just such a strong draw throughout. I could sit here and name them all, but it's just such a strong draw. I think with the strength of that draw, uh, comes some upsets. Um, so let's talk about what's happened so far. Um, we're currently like at the time of this recording, we're at the quarterfinals. Um, a few players into the semis. Talon Greekspor with a win over JJ Wolf puts himself in the semis. Grigor Dimitrov uh gets into the semis through a walkover. Uh Ugo and Bear pulling out. Yeah, a lot of Still tennis on Ugo and Bear's bodies yeah. in the past couple of weeks. I sorry, I just wanted to note that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think back to back semifinals to start the North American hardcore swing. Maybe he's just starting to feel it a little bit. So Stills will play Dan Evans versus France, Francis Tiafo. That definitely promises to be a good one. When Dan Evans is on, he's on. Yeah. Uh, but Francis after Tiafo just beat Jerry Shang. Explosive yeah. as as always. And we just talked about Jerry Shang and the and the damage that he can do to a hardcore draw. Uh, and then also Taylor Fritz coming off his win has to play Jordan Thompson, who just beat Chris Eubanks. So yeah. what do you what do you make of this? Where do you see like if you want to put in a winner prediction, this is your moment? <laughs> mm, I guess I'll go for Francis Tiafo. OK, I think first of all, it's his home tournament. He loves the D.C. area. First of all, how can we talk about Kevin Durant being courtside to watch your tennis match? Like, I think I, I yeah. could only hope to one day ever be that cool. <laughs> and I think, quite frankly, I like I'll never be that cool, but I can one can hope. I want to bring this back to a moment in the Ultimate Tennis Showdown sit down kind of um, episode they had with Ben Shelton, Eubanks yeah. and Tiafo. Uh, and I know that I believe I think Rachel touched on something from this um, on Overserved as well. Um, but this is a little different. They talked about and this was really cool to listen to. They talked about the gravity of the moment of realizing that someone that you look up to has come specifically to watch you play. They were talking about Jamie Foxx coming to Miami just to watch Chris Eubanks and Tiafo and Francis kind of talk about like the gravity of realizing 
that Jamie Foxx did not hop on a plane to watch the tournament. He came to watch Chris Eubanks. Yeah. And he talked about, you know, going out on court uh, for his semifinal at the U.S. Open against Carlos Alcaraz. And, you know, looking up and seeing Michelle Obama and kind of having that, oh, wow, she's here moment, you know? Yeah. And I can't imagine what it must have felt like for him to, you know, look out and see Katie. But and that's, I will and echo, that's what it is. I will echo your sentiment. Yeah. I wish one day to be that cool. Yeah. And our wishes will never be granted. But But that's what it's all about, right? Moments that make tennis mainstream. And this is something that Eubanks actually touched on in one of his post-match interviews after in Atlanta, where yeah, he talked about getting to see himself as a role model at his home tournament after the Wimbledon run and just like kind of realizing that like some of this stuff is bigger than tennis, you know, like there's it, so it much truly is yeah. special to see. There's so that, much power like, in representation. Yes. And seeing somebody like Chris Eubanks will definitely inspire so many kids to hope to do something similar in the future. And I think that's what it's all about at this point. You know, you're at a point now where sure, like having those moments are awesome, but when you get to take a step back and realize what you're doing is bigger than yourself, you kind of take a step back and look at the big picture and you realize how much of an impact you're having on the world beyond your own career because you're like your career is just such a small part of a bigger, you know, existence and a bigger purpose. And I think it's so cool to watch these guys understand that and move forward conscious of that. If that makes sense, they, you know, they understand the gravity of what they do. And I think it also, it not only makes them better on and off court, it also just, pushes them all the more and it's just good for everybody it's good for them they play at such a high level and then we get entertained by it so at the end of the day it's just a win-win all around yeah for sure and you know that's that's again that's what we touched on that's kind of what francis tiafo is going through in dc where just like chris eubanks playing at his home tournament with a real chance of going deep and winning this event and yeah, sure. A lot of people look at DC as, okay, it's a lead up to the US Open, which is ultimately the main goal for these players. But at the same time, you can appreciate what this level of competition in their home cities, home states means to these players. So and I certainly think one to think. There's, there's so much for the Americans to look forward to coming to the US Open. Um, it's been 20 years since an American man has won a slam. Um, yeah. the last American man to win a slam won the same year that I was born. That's nuts to think about. And there's a few players out there that weren't even born when the last American man won a slam. Yeah. So when you look at it from, again, the big lens, it's so exciting for American fans heading into the U.S. Open because there's genuinely a chance. Not saying it's a catastrophically big chance. But it's a chance. And that chance is better than nothing. Um, it's yeah. definitely better, better than, than what nothing. we've had for the last few years. Yeah, better than nothing. Again, probably not happening, but <laughs> better than nothing. But right? still, like when you go down the list and you realize how many guys could actually do this. I mean, there, there's two then, American men in the top 10. Exactly. And you look at years past and 
not to be overcritical, you know, towards the past American players. It's just our odds have never been as good as, you know, our odds haven't been this good since like the early 2000s. Yeah. I, so it's an exciting time. I mean, yeah. There's so many names uh, that could do it. And I mean, like sometimes they even come out of nowhere, like not to say he's not a great player. He always has been, but who would have guessed Francis Tiafo to make a semifinal? Yeah. No, I don't uh, think I don't think anyone had that in, in their in their fantasy draft or whatever you're doing your bracket challenge. Yeah, but no, it can it, happen. Yeah, exactly. And the the whole theory is that with the depth of American men, they're just going to have so many bites at the apple that like one of them is bound to break through, right? Like there's just so men, there's just so much talent on the men's side, and even if you look at the women's side with Coco Goff and Jesse Pagula, Madison Keys, like. Well, it's just likely that somebody is going to make a deep run somewhere. And, you know, why not the U.S. Open? Why not end the North American hardcourt swing? So also, while while we're saying this, I do want to point out that Taylor Fritz just broke Jordan Thompson in the quarterfinals in D.C. So, I mean, while, listeners, you'll you'll know the result of this by the time we're done with it. But while prepping for this, I was very tempted to set ourselves like some punishment if an, if an American like I'm ready to make that bet that American makes, I will say, quarterfinals of the men's draw and American men will min- will make the quarters of the men's draw. Yeah. It's if, there's, if there's none, I I don't know. I really Quite don't frankly, know. It'll be disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the U S men should be disappointed. And honestly, there are some guys who will be disappointed if they don't make like a semifinal and yeah. that, and to have that level as a standard is a win in and yeah. of itself. But yeah, I think honestly, winning this title right now in DC is going to be huge for those for the top two seeds, um, Fritz and Tiafo. Yeah, it I think maybe huge. I think maybe more so for Tiafo than Fritz, yeah. given that Fritz already has the Atlanta title. And honestly, I think Fritz maybe although maybe Fritz needs more confidence at the moment, given all his early losses at Slams. But I think that's just a case by case thing, and he's just going to have to figure out a way through those early rounds and just navigate his way through a drop. So we'll see. Yes, but let's also is. but let's also add on how big this would be for him to to um to parlay two titles in a row. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Now the big one for them is obviously going to be the upcoming one thousands. Um, it always is. Isn't it? I mean, it's all that's always what you look towards. Yeah. But we have some really good 1000s coming up um, in well, before, Canada before and Cincinnati. Well, before we do get to, yeah, before we do just, get just to Just pointing those, it out. Yeah, uh, we do. But before we do get to those, right before we move off DC, I do want to give a quick shout out to Grigor Dimitrov becoming a semifinalist here in DC, who quietly is having his best season on tour since like 2017, yeah. in my opinion, where, you know, He's now reached a Geneva final round of 16 at Roland Garros, Queens club quarters, Wimbledon round of 16, where, you know, he beat Francis Tiafo and played Holger Runa pretty close. And now Washington semifinal. So we'll see. I, 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 w- I wouldn't mind seeing him in the final, to be honest, like everybody. Oh, 100%. Loves more, right. Yeah. Well, with that said, there's a lot of moves being made on the women's side in DC as well. Jesse Pagula into the semifinals to play Maria Sakari. That promises to be a very tasty match. 
at the time of this recording, Coco Goff is up a set on Belinda Bencic in her quarterfinal uh, winner to face Ludmila Samsonova. But Who... a, a few sneaky names that, that need to get some shout outs here. Svitolina makes the quarterfinals. Peyton Stearns to the round of 16. Great result for lucky, her. Lucky loser, Peyton Stearns, into the round of 16, just showing the depth of women's tennis at the moment. Um, and a lot of strong Americans in this draw. Um, Haley Jennifer Baptiste, Brady making her return. I was like, Haley Baptiste also getting past Carolina Pliskova. Big win Absolutely. for her. Yeah. Um, and Coco Goff, again, talked about the significance of being able to play Haley Baptiste, who is a close friend of hers from way back when they grew up together, grew up playing together. So obviously it was a big moment for them as two African-American women to stand on the stadium court of a tournament and play each other. So she did mention that as a a big moment for her. Maddie Keys made the quarterfinals to move on with, with more American women, which I think it has to be noted that, that Maddie Keys is having a very good season. It's been, it's been a while since um, I think she's had this good of a season. I don't know, maybe like, 18 maybe something like that yeah um, you'd lean somewhere but she's consistently putting together wins which i think is something that we've often longed for with madison keys you know no one can doubt the power and the ceiling of her game but now she's raised the floor to an extent where she really it really does feel like she's a legitimate contender at to go deep at every single tournament she plays so hats off to her i mean i think she's one of the people that uh, deserved credit for her Wimbledon run that did not get, I think, as much credit as she deserved. I think it's just because we're at a point where we expect so much of her because we know how good she is. I mean, the, we're talking about a slam finalist here, but after the trials and tribulations that she's have that she's had to overcome over the last few seasons, her Wimbledon run was definitely a big part of her current confidence, um, especially moving into the hardcore season. Her home slams, you know, obviously being an American on American soil. And I think it's really exciting as well because we have more and more hope. And I think going off of that, there's a really good chance that we could get an All-American final between Coco and Pagula, which would be great to see. Doubles partners turned on-court enemies? I don't know. Well, yeah, it'd certainly be interesting. I mean, especially if we were to potentially get an all-American men's and women's side matchup, that would be pretty spectacular in the final. But yeah, I mean, a couple of other names who maybe aren't American that I'd want to throw out. Marcia Kostyuk, who did eventually lose today to, um, sorry, I'm blanking, uh, Ludmilla yeah. Samsonova. Sorry, yeah. But she quite, like, she has been bawling, like, Really, really well played match to overcome Bianca Andrescu, beat two seed Caroline Garcia. Just a really, really solid run from Marta Kostyuk, who, by the way, is still so young and just has so much time to put things together. And so you never know when it's going to be. I've often been caught being a quote unquote fan of Marta Kostyuk's game, who, like, watch her tennis and tell me you're not a fan of how well she can play on her day. So hopefully this leads to something that, you know, is a little bit more of a consistent week to week successful run. But yeah, with that said, 
Um, DC will definitely be super exciting to watch the end. Um, and we'll obviously recap it all um, in our next episode. But now moving on to the final thing that we have uh, lined up for this episode. A hardcore swing preview. Because it is time for the hardcore swing. So let's start off with player of the year so far. Uh, what are we thinking? One man, one woman? Yeah, why not? Let's get to it. All right. So we'll start with the men. I will let you go first. Well, yeah, I, I'll I'll lay out the case, I guess, for in my mind, there are three candidates. You may disagree. Some may say two, some may say four. But in my mind, there are three pretty clear candidates. It's Daniil Medvedev, Carlos Alcaraz, Novak Djokovic. And Agreed. To me, the case for Medvedev, let's get that one out of the way first, because that's no offense to Daniil. He's had a great year, but that's probably the hardest one to argue for. But, you know, the the case to be made for Daniil is he's had the most consistent week-to-week tour success out of everyone. Yes, the slam results may be a little bit lacking in terms of early round losses, first round loss at the French. Was it a third round loss to Sebi Korda at the Australian Open? I think so. Something like third or fourth round, yeah. One of those. Yes, Daniel will be disappointed with some of his slam results, but you can't argue the success that he's had on tour, that incredible streak he had in February, March, you know, winning a title on winning a master title on play in the Rome title semifinals at Wimbledon. That was really a saving grace. I know the loss to Alcaraz kind of left a sour taste in a lot of people's mouth when discussing Daniel Medvedev's season, but you know, you can't argue with the results. Like, yes, he got beaten down pretty convincingly by Carlos Alcaraz still semifinal at a tournament that you know hasn't been very successful successful for him sorry you know he's managed to take his hard court form and translated it to success not the exact same success but he's taken it to success on clay and grass and then obviously you can we know the case for Novak Djokovic right like and and, a, and similarly be, for Carlos they they're unspoken yeah the results just you know prove themselves yeah and many people would have we could have still like this argument isn't happening if carlos alcaraz doesn't win the wimbledon final and he's kind of revived the race he's given some light to this because you know if djokovic wins three slams this year you i don't care if he didn't play a single event all year and only played the three slams and if he still won that arguably makes it more impressive (laughs) Exactly. Like the guy at 36 is still finding out how to peak at without any lead up or anything like that. He's just peaking at a Wimbledon, like Wimbledon. That's Wimbledon, Roland Garros, Australian Open. And you can be sure that he'll do the same in the US Open. So that's the case for Djokovic, Alcaraz. He, that kid is just special. He really is. He, to me, he is the, the intersection of Medvedev and Djokovic where he's had, you know, elite, elite like results on tour and at the slams. So maybe that'll put him ahead for most people. Um, Yeah. His highest win percentage on tour, I believe it's somewhere in like 91% or something like that. Ridiculous. 
you don't see this from a 20 year old. So yeah, I mean, not for, so much. I yeah. can say, I guess for me, I would lean Djokovic personally. You can give your, for opinion. me, I'm actually going to lean uh, Carlos. Um, I think what has stood out for me for Carlos's season so far is he has proven to any doubter that he can play at his best and compete with the best on any surface, any situation. He's one of a select few this season that has won a title on every single surface. Not even Novak has done that. Winning big and, titles on all of those. And yeah, like, okay, he won two grass events. Those are the only two he played. And those were his third and fourth grass like tour tournaments, like ATP tournaments of his career. Yeah. I and just think the ability to come um, onto a, a new surface with that, especially with that harsh transition that we talked about before from the clay to the grass and make such a quick transition with your game. Like if you really nitpick, you can notice small things that he adjusted and fixed um, that just made him so much more efficient on the grass and the way that he was able to adapt on his third and fourth grass tournaments of his career is it's really impressive to me. It shows the multi-dimensionalness of his game. Don't know if that's a word, but if it's not, I'll put the it in my dictionary. Yeah, no, it is. <laughs> um, but there's just so many facets to his game. And I don't remember who said it. I think I didn't Novak say that he's that that's one of the most like the most difficult players he's ever played against. That is yeah, he's high one praise. of the most, yeah. He said he's one of the most difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Like I went Djokovic, you went Alcaraz. Realistically, like there's not much separating the two. Yeah. It really could just I just I guess factor in the slam success a little more, but there. Like, Alcaraz has beaten Djokovic in a Wimbledon final. So which no really one know. like like I mean, I remember talking about like during our Wimbledon preview, the question was, could anybody beat Novak? The fact that that is a question and a serious debate in and of itself shows the level of just greatness that Novak has achieved. It takes serious skill for people to be asking if anyone can actually like realistically beat you. Yeah, in at the level that these players play at in professional tennis, to have the question, can you be beaten beaten at the biggest tournament of the year? It's downright ridiculous. And ultimately, that is why I go with Djokovic as my player of the year. Do we should we move on to the women's now? Yeah. And I you you know exactly where this is going for me. So I'll I'll does does that mean you you I should go first or go second? <laughs> I think you should lead on this one, given that I just gave my spiel on the men's side. It's it's three letters and it's IGA, man. Every single time. It's Iga. Um I think what's been really interesting to watch about her season this year is we all know what she did last year. What she did last year is realistically a unthinkable and B probably unrepeatable. Like the only person that's done what she did last season with her win streak and all those titles that the only other player that has done that consistently year to year is probably Serena Williams. Yeah. I mean, Venus arguably once or twice, but yeah, but you know, arguably one of the greatest 
to ever play this game. The greatest, but continue. Um, And so I think what's been really interesting to watch about Iga this season is how she handles the pressure of understanding this is what I did last year. People are going to expect me to do something similar. And handling that pressure and taking it like a champ, she has fought for every single point that she has. And she had, and I mean, like, I, I I don't know if it's a conscious thing for her that, you know, she's world number one and she has to retain world number one and all this different stuff. But Sabalenka was right on her tail for that number one spot. And she won when she had to. Um, Obviously, results can speak for themselves. Uh, Won her third uh, French Open out of the last four years. Which again, ridiculous. Um, just uh won her fourth title uh at her home tournament in Warsaw with just honestly textbook tennis. She dropped, I'm actually doing the math right now, seven, eleven, fifteen, sixteen. She dropped under 30 games in the entire tournament, not even dro- uh, didn't drop a set. Which, when you look at it, is is pretty, pretty good. And I mean, just her her formal season has just been so solid. Um, Yeah, I mean, that French Open win was massive. Yeah. I'm going to agree with you, but for the sake of the argument, I'm going to lay out why, you know, some would say Sabalenka is the player of the year. First of all, she's number one in the race this year. Yeah. Right, wins the Australian Open in what was an unforgettable final against Elena Rybakina. Has really good success on tour, right? Deep runs, wins titles on tour, and then semifinals at the French. Where, let's be honest, she probably should have reached the final. She just made the semifinals of every slam or farther. Exactly, and she was a matter of a few points away in both matches. To reaching the final of every slam. Yes, some may hold that against her as saying, well, Iga probably wouldn't lose those matches from that position. Well, the fact of the matter is Iga didn't get to that position, right? Sabalenka got to that position in the semifinals of Wimbledon. You know, maybe... Wait, semifinals. Did I get that right? Yeah, uh... Yeah. Um, Sabalenka fell, uh, lost to Jabur in the semi. Jabur, yeah, yeah. Sorry, it's been a while. I can't remember if it was a quarter or a semi, but it was definitely a semi. A semi, yeah. <laughs> Semifinals in the French, semifinals at Wimbledon, and you know, was one match away really from becoming the world number one, regardless of race. No, not the race, world number one, which is what ultimately does really matter. I just think so. When you when you look at Sabalenka's season, it's just been best labeled by one word and it's consistency yeah deep runs in i'm i'm genuinely looking right now i I just opened this up pretty much almost every single tournament that she has entered she's only fallen before the quarterfinals in two tournaments all season that is wildly impressive to be saying that about somebody in august yeah absolutely and so There is definitely, there's most definitely a case. It is a very similar case to a Daniil Medvedev. Just plus one slam. 
where you talk about deep runs and consistency, like to not include her in a conversation about, you know, power rankings or whatever would be foolish. Yeah, absolutely. But I think, I mean, I just, I think, I think it is between those two. Um, And, you know, maybe Rabakina has the case that Medvedev has, right? Maybe they're the third fiddle in that race and you can, you can throw their names in there, but I, I, I wouldn't, you know, bet on that. I think there are just a couple more players, especially on the women's side who have proven what they can do this year. And, you know, I wouldn't say Rabak is a clear third best player in terms of player of the year. I think she's clearly the third best player in the world, but maybe her results haven't exactly shown that, but it's, there's certainly a case to be made for all of them. What I will say, sorry to go back to the men's after we've just finished the women's. What I will say is that if we're entering Daniil Medvedev's favorite time of the year, right? Oh, yeah. We're not including, I. to me, it's still a two-horse race, but he has the power to make it a three-horse race to be the best player of the year this year on the men's side. And say Medvedev comes away with, I don't know, two Masters 1000 titles. Say he wins a US Open and maybe wins a World Tour Finals. Is the Neil Medvedev the best player in the world? It's it's a stronger argument. I mean, we've but seen I it think, from him before. I think, okay, here's what kind of... Okay, I'll play devil's advocate right now. The, the reason why I would be hesitant to put him up there is how fair would it be to base player of the year off of, like, you just found success in the last quarter of the year? I think yeah. you have, you have to look holistically at the whole season and look at who has been. I mean, the thing is, we talked about it. He's been very consistent. And if it's thanks to those deep runs, like the deep run at, at Wimbledon helps his case tremendously as to why he's still in that conversation and could potentially be a, a it's a fair pick one way or another. But at the same time, if Alcaraz wins the U.S. Open, I will not hear yeah. another that argument against him. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, like if Alcaraz if were to win the U.S. The US Open, Open it's, it's, it's done. The argument is, is closed for the season because it shows the level, a level of dominance on every single surface. Well, maybe but not even, dominance, but just but even success if, yeah, on every single if, surface. But what about if Novak Djokovic has a great end to the year, right? If Sweeps Novak wins the, the indoor I think hard court season, if one of those two win the U.S. Open, I will case close on that player. Well, I think in, in Djokovic's case, you have to call him the player of the year three if, he has, out of four. if he ends the year with three slabs and a final in the fourth one, which he easily could have won, right? Yeah. If Alcaraz if he, if wins he, it, I still think it's a two horse race. But to me, he's the favorite. Can we be realistic? I genuinely i I think what's what's really fun about this portion of the year is that it is so wide open. Yeah, it we is had a so new U.S. Open. open winner every year for the past three years. Every single time we get to this point of the year, you never know what's going to happen. You can make all the predictions you want. Like I was ready to sit here and say that 
my like I'm ready to say Carlos versus Novak round two for the U.S. Open title. But yeah. realistically, Which, there are genuinely people who could take either one of them out. Yeah. Like, look at Daniil Medvedev. Yeah. Which in 2021 he did yeah. it. You know, there's always somebody lurking in the corners that, you know, if, if you catch what, you know, these one of these two guys on an off day, it could very well go, a, you know, a different way. Yeah. And ironically, sorry, I do want to point this out. Yeah. I've weirdly had the most success at selecting the winner of the U.S. Open. And given in the past three years, I thought that Dominic team was going to win it in 2020. I thought Daniil Medvedev was going to win it in 2021, which at the time was a crazy take given that Novak Djokovic had won the last three and was one match away from the calendar slam. But I said it. However, I did backtrack before the final and say that, okay, Novak Djokovic is going to win the calendar slam. But don't listen to those words. Okay. Let's focus on the positives here. Right. What, what's and I did, and I did say, that Alcaraz was going to win the U.S. Open last year. So all I'm saying is, listeners, when I make my pick for the U.S. Open, be prepared to cash in those bets. I'm kidding. Please do not hold me accountable for that. But with that said, I think what's also really fun about it is um, you look at the last few seasons, and I mean, we talk about this a lot, but before we get to our last segment, just to touch on this, the men's side has had so many more names as of recent compared to the women's I've been much more accurate with my picks on the women's side to the men's as compared to the men's over the last few seasons compared to in the past where like it time came for the French open and you just put in like a million dollars on Rafa Nadal and you could, you know, safely go to sleep. Whereas on the women's side, well, if you honestly, never if you knew bet a million. Like, it could be Serena Williams or it could be the field, but still like the odds are it, it's weird the way I see it. Just the odds are a little different because Serena, all it needs is Serena to have one bad day and then the entire field is now open. Yeah. Whereas when it came to the men's side, you had a core three that you knew were going to win. Yeah, for sure. And if one of those three didn't win, something was wrong. Obviously, the US Open has been the one on the men's side where we've seen the most chaos. But even then, like, you still kind of knew who the favorites were going into every event. Still, you, and you, yeah. I mean, you still look I do, at the I last mean, few years and just, it's just chaos. Yeah. I mean, I do want to say though, if you placed a million dollars on Nadal to win the French Open, are you really making that much money though? Given the Yeah, odds? you're probably making five cents. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but don't take, but don't take betting advice from us. Yes, please don't. It's, it's just, it's, I think it's just refreshing that when we look at the men's side, we can have this discussion of, could be Carlos, could be Novak, could be Medvedev, but who could knows? Could be Yannick. It could, could be, be someone else from later down the field. Exactly. Yeah. It's not just limited to those three. Yeah. You look at the women's side. I'm sorry. I think it's limited to a very select few. I don't against, think like, yeah. sure, yeah. sure. Like credit where it's due. You looked at Wimbledon and we said Rabakina and then out of, out of the woodworks came Marketa Vondrusova. But with that said, I still think it's, I mean, like, okay, you look at um, the fight, the slam finals, at least one half of them has always been from the top five consistently. Yeah. I know it's it's kind of weird, but it's it's still like, I think, I think, I think the point is, is fair. Yeah. It's a fair assessment. I, I will just say though, I think 
I think you could make the exact same case, just given the level of tennis that we saw on the men's side, just given the level of tennis that we saw where, I mean, Alcaraz and Djokovic are clearly the two best players on the planet right now. And honestly, I would be a little bit disappointed if we don't get part two. The Serena Williams situation where you have like one or two people that are far ahead and all it takes is one bad day and the and then the field opens. Yeah, for sure. On the it's women's the side that yeah. On the women's side, let's say Iga goes down, you still have Sabalenka and Rabakina. Yeah. But realistically, I could make that argument where again, I think that Alcaraz and Medvedev in a world where Djokovic goes down, because Djokovic is still going to be the favorite going into the US Open. But I think that in a world where Djokovic is down and Iga's down. I think Alcaraz Medvedev is on par with Sabalenka Rabakina. And that's I don't fair. think that's a crazy take. That's fair. Yeah. I just think you also have to you look at the rest of the field and oh, okay, we're 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 at this point we're just tangent. We're on a tangent. Um we need yeah. to get to this last thing. Me and Archers have made a decision that um I hope, I really hope we don't regret this in December. I really hope we, we don't probably will, this. but the we probably will. have good material. We're we're gonna do a draft. Um, we're each gonna draft seven players. Um, we decided who's gonna go first via Zoom, rock, paper, scissors. Um, it's gonna be two players in the top ten, two from the top twenty-five, two from the top hundred. Um, those two each have to be one man, one woman, and then one wild card pick. Just anyone you would like to pick. Um, men's or women's and side. The criteria ahead. for this is who we think will have the most success by the end from this point when we are recording this on August 4th, 2023. From to this the point, end of the season. Yeah. Until the end of the tour finals, who will have the most success? So if you want to factor in, you know, indoor hardcourt success, go ahead. If you want to factor in slams, you want to factor in the North American hardcourt swing on the lead up to the US Open, go ahead. But that is the criteria. So we're going to go, so uh, in our little Zoom rock, paper, scissors, uh, I will get first pick, and we're going to go in snake draft order. So I will pick a top 10 player, men or women, then Archit will go twice, and then I'll go, um, obviously keeping to one man, one woman. Um, I think this is very predictable for me. Um, I I think Archit knows where I'm going with this pick. Of course Um, I do. Of course he does, because I think it would just be stupid if I didn't. Um, Iga Sviantek, because come on. I think um, last year she she's proven she proved um, that she is a real force to be reckoned with in this portion of the season. Um, really great results. Very worried just because there are players that can take her down. Sabalenka and Rabakina, namely, have taken her down on multiple occasions. Um, but I still believe in her strength. And I think the difficult the difficulty is I'm pretty sure Shiantic will have the same. Will she is it is it one in four at the slams? Yes. Meaning meaning like the one seed and the four seed are in the same half, and then the two and the three are in the same half. Uh yeah, one and four on the same half and two and three. Oh, then I'm no 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 then I'm then I'm totally at peace with this because I was just worried that she was gonna face Rabakin in the semifinals and that scared me half to death. Um but yeah, I mean well yeah, yeah. You, okay. you're well, up. Yeah, that's I know a fair where you're going. Pick. I know where you're going with yours, so I'm just you know I'm, I'm don't, prepping for I the don't next. think you do, to be honest. 
because I've thought this through, unlike you. See, I know that you can no longer pick a top 10 women's player for the rest of his draft. Oh, yeah. Right? So I can take my time. Really quickly, these are going off of the current rankings as of today. Yes, we're not doing live rankings. We are going by the official WTA and ATP tour rankings that were released on Monday, I think. Yeah. But yeah. But I know that Richard can you no have longer... two picks in a row. Yeah, but it's a state matter. draft. Who cares? Yeah, but I know you can no longer pick a WTA top 10 player. So I'm going to save that pick for later and get two players that I feel like I need on my team. Okay. I see how you're playing this. Okay. I thought we were going and in I, order. No, we're not going in order. Okay. I see. I see that. Okay. And there might be certain players that you want that I, that you can't get now, but okay. Realistically, I am going to go with. Hmm. Oh God. I'm sorry. I'm scrolling through the rankings right now and I'm just, I'm this is so hard. This is your moment, man. This is so, so hard. Um, Yikes. In terms of Dark Horse, I will be taking... Oh, wow. Just give me one minute. Westoff, you might have to edit some of this out because there's so much dead time. But I am going to go with... You should have prepped like a draft board earlier. Realistically, yes. But it's okay. You know what? We'll just go in order for the sake of time. Yeah. That's what I was... Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna take Arena Sabalenka and I'm gonna go with Carlos Alcaraz. Yep, I wanted Carlos, and you know where that and you know what that means I'm gonna do. I think we're both aware of what I'm about to do. Um realistically, I mean like this like this does not change um at least for me what I'm gonna make my predictions to be when it comes to predicting us open results and all these different results um my uh, you can't debate it man just give me novak yeah i just think not a bad pick i just think it would be remiss like okay if if we went through this draft and he did not get picked i think we'd look like the dumbest people in the world um yeah, but with that, so that means one he... could make the argument that because we're also factoring in tour success, that we probably should have gone with the Neo Medvedev. Well, oh, that's but... what I was thinking about because if you use like consistency, but also like I think the tour finals and, and the US Open will count for major points, and I think he'll make at least the semis in both. So, yeah, take take it what you will. And and Lord knows he's probably gonna he's definitely gonna play the Masters one thousands. Like I'd be surprised if he didn't play Cincinnati. Um, well, he's already pulled out of um, Toronto. Yeah, I'm aware of that. And that's what I was scared of. And that's why I was between the two. But you know what? Yeah. Is what Hence why is. I went with Alcaraz, because I feel yes. like you do get the best of both worlds in terms of you get the tour success and the slam success. Agreed. So. Um, with that said, we need to go to our top 25s. Um, so I'm just trying to I'm, I'm currently just trying to think. Um, huh, do I want to take someone from the women's side? I think the depth of the women's... So, for clarification, we cannot pick anyone in the top 10. 
anymore. So this is now like cut to rankings 11 through 25. Um, I think I think my pick for my top 25 women's is not what you're going to pick. And if you do, I have about seven backups that I can take. With the yeah, men's think, side, I, I'm honestly, more particular. Dart, yeah. I'm more particular with what I want to do on the men's side. And I think, I was thinking about this earlier. It's so hard to do this portion um, just because there's, you never know what you're going to get. And I think what sucks for us is that because we took Novak and Carlos and because the way the, the rankings have worked themselves out, we can't pick Taylor or Francis, which in 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 a certain way hurts. Um, I'm going to go. Oh, actually, he's not top 25. OK, I am going to. There's two names that are circulating in my mind right now. Um, And I'm just going to pick this one based off of the fact that I think out of the top 25, this will pro- he will probably have the strongest season on the hard court. And I hate how biased I sound right now. Cause I'm going to go with who be her catch. Yeah. You kind of stole my pick there, but that's okay. I think you look at the last, okay. This guy is so strong on a hard court, big server, strong ground strokes has a great serve. Plus one, um, great history with, uh, Winston Salem. Is that, am I correct in saying that this portion of the, of the calendar? I think so. Um, has won so. the singles title in Miami. We know how strong he is on the hard courts. Um, well, he's reached, think, he reached the final of Toronto or Montreal. Yeah. Right? I think we have, I think like, I don't know how, how, how great I feel about him winning tournaments, but I have, but I feel really great about him making deep runs in tournaments. This is his block of the season. Yeah. I mean, Hubie seems like a quarterfinal lock at a lot of tournaments that he plays. So, yeah. So you get to pick um, two in a row, one man, one woman for uh, top 25. It's like currently yeah. locking what I want to do. Yeah, I would have to go with on the men's side. I will select. Do I want to go Tommy Paul? I'm curious if you take the person that I had in my second spot. Do I want to throw maybe a bone for Felix? The problem I would if Felix was fully healthy, we would automatically be selecting him given the fact that the indoor hardcourt season is coming up. Yep. But we know how good he is in, in Paris, and I'm I'm oh, excited yeah. to the prospect that him and Hubie might team up again to try to defend that title. Honestly, I'm not a huge believer is the problem. Like, oh. and I don't blame you. Just like, he's just not healthy right now. Cam Norrie, certainly interesting. But you know what? I'm going to go with Lorenzo Musetti. Ooh, I like that pick. I think just objectively, he's had a very solid season and made real strides on hard courts. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I just think he could be a very beneficial asset to my the, team. The other name that I had in mind was Francisco Sarundolo. Yeah, I was I was debating. Very, very strong and could do some damage um, on hard court. Yeah. I absolutely. just felt that Hubie has had a stronger pass with hard courts. Um, and, yeah. and the game, I think, translates better. Yeah. All right, and on the then on side. the women's, I still have one more selection. I'm going to go with... Do I want to throw a Maddie Keys in there? No, not Ooh. really. Like, That'll I don't... be interesting. I know I know it's 
interesting, but it also doesn't feel very dependable. That's so fair. That's, and same thing with same same problem with so Ostapenko. Say so I have the same problem with Ostapenko and Garcia and Sakari. Maybe I go with Kasakina or Kudermatova or Krajikova. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. I, I think I think the fact that this is taking us so long just shows so much depth to Absolutely. both yeah. fields, respectively. And yeah. I think we're at a point where we're not necessarily expecting titles from them, but you have to think about who's going to make those consistent deep runs. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm going to go with Kasakina. I think that's a very strong pick. Um, so I have a few names rifling through my head. Uh, Krejcikova is definitely there. Beatrice had Admaya definitely deserves a shout out. Uh, Belinda Bencic, uh, is so good on hard courts. Um, Carolina Mohova is in the top 10, so you can't take her. Who? Bencic. No, she's not. She's world number 10 right now. No, she's world number 15. Has the rankings not updated for me? I'm looking at it right now. I'm, oh, wait, I, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the race. Good job. Apologies. You're listeners. so lucky because Kasakin is 11. Yeah, You're so lucky. Well, I knew I knew that I had that. I accidentally just switched in between. No, yeah. But... Be- so yeah, benches at 15. Um, also deserves a heavy mention. Maddie Keys um has made the finals of the U.S. Open. Um, but in all realisticness, I don't think it's gonna happen again. Um. Azarenka is always such a sneaky one, could have just such an on-season. You think back to when she came back um, from her um, few-year break and t- and made the U.S. Open Finals losing to Naomi Osaka, right? Was it? Did she make the U.S. Open Final or the Australian Final? I don't know. Um, please don't blame me for that one. But then you even drop even lower to the to 21 to 25, and every single one of those names is a viable option. Kinwen Zhang at 20 years old deserves so much props. And I and I'm only pick, I'm I'm not gonna pick Magda just because I think it would be so cheap for me to just create uh the the United Cup version of Poland plus Novak Djokovic. Um, but I just wanted to shout her out because I think she definitely has potential to have a very good season, depending on how she leads up to it. Um proved what she's made of in Australia, making that semifinal run. And we know what she's capable of. Um, but I am going to go. Oh my goodness. I I am not a fan of this. I'm not a fan of this. Um I need to I need to check one last thing before I lock this in. Yeah, I'll I'll do it because why not? I think it would be very fun to watch this player have good results. Um, so for the nostalgia, Pika Zarenka. Wow. Okay. Was very close um, to picking Krejcikova, but I just don't think that she's shown me enough in recent results. Could pop off. You never know. Um, it's always a switch of of, uh, of courts. But with that said, we have to extend to what are we at now? Top hundred. Top hundred. Good lord. Um, I'm just trying to. There's oh, there's so much. Yeah. Um, and again, you can't select anybody from the top 25 in these, but as, as, uh, um, I'm prefacing this as a joke, Simona Halep, welcome to the team. Um, 
All right. Let me let me think. Um, and the thing is, the top hundred is so stacked with such sneaky players. Um, I'm looking at the women's. You you have Camilo Osorio. Um, you have Alize Cornet, the seed killer, Martina Trevisan, uh, Mira Andreeva, Peyton Stearns. You know, so many kind of sneaky players that could just, you know, slide right in at the right time. But I think, I think what I'm going to, I'm, I'm between two players right now. Um, oh, there's a few more. Yeah, exactly. Scrolling I, yeah. down through the rankings list. You just okay. scroll a few names down. I was so ready to pick Chris Eubanks, but then I scrolled down and then I remembered, oh yeah, Ben Shelton. Oh yeah, Andy Murray. Oh yeah, JJ Wolf. This is rough, man. And then there's Mackie at 60. Nakashima's at 70. This is rough, man. <laughs> this is so rough. Yeah. Um, you might be trying to go with an American player just for the brand, to be honest. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I need to. I need to. I need to fix my brand. I've. Ch- I've chosen. I need to have an American on this team, and so I'm currently. So my original plan was to take Sebi Corda or Chris Eubanks. Um, when I made that little remark earlier, oh wait, he's not top twenty-five. That's be- that was about Sebi Corda. I knew it was um, yeah, because I had the exact same thought. Because I totally like I was so ready to give up that pick to take Sebi, but. Yeah, I really just didn't want to give anything away, so I kept quiet. But <laughs> I no, I the thing is, I knew you and I were both eyeing him because he's such a he's so strong. I'm just, I'm so worried, just because yeah. it's it's not been. But I mean, well, you can't like, really... like this year has not been what we expected from him, especially after January. Yeah, yeah, aka the whole year. <laughs> it's just. Okay, lost in the first round well, of yeah, Wimbledon. But I'm just saying, like, given the success that he had after the Australian Open and that early hardcourt swing, we were all projecting big things for Sebi and, Korda and, and even predicted then, him the, getting to the Wimbledon semi. And since then, the only, I mean, the, the only deep run post-Australia that he made was the semifinals at Queen's Club, which no one's going to blame you for losing to Carlos Alcaraz. But when you look at the names that he beat in that roadside semi proves his level dan evans francis tiafo cam nori all exactly. high class all high class high caliber players but it's so tough and i want to pick sebi but it's so hard for me to be fully convinced on it um so i'm gonna go for a guy that i know will feed off of the home crowd energy um that i know can do very big things, and I'm very hopeful after Australia. I'm going to pick good old Benny Schultz. Okay, thank God. I, I know where really you're going. Hoping... I know where you're going with yours. No, because I was really hoping you wouldn't put me in a position where I had to pick between Ben or Chris Eubanks. I knew you were going to pick Chris Eubanks. And thankfully, you did the dirty work for me, and you yeah. picked one of them. And I was just... Well... I think I, I think do want those to push two. Back. Yeah, I do want to push back on the Ben thing, though. Is that the run of form he's on? Honestly, horrific. I like, know we can be but, honest. But with that said, but with that said, you could say the same thing about half the American players in the in the in this like category. Yeah, absolutely. Like that post post Wimbledon, Eubanks has not been what you expect it to be. Post Australia, Corda has made one semifinal appearance. Um, ben Sheldon post um, Australia has been questionable. Um, at best, questionable at best. Like, 
it doesn't look good any any way you look at it. Yeah. But well, the, I think here's my thing. With the top 50 being so stacked with Americans, I think what we're looking at at this point, even top 100, sorry, um, what we need to keep in, in factor is the fact that they are now playing at home. And when you look at guys like, and I'm going to, and you'll see a common thread in a second, Mackie McDonald, Chris Eubanks, Ben Shelton. What is the one thing that they all have in common? Even JJ Wolf. They the all surf? played college tennis. Oh, I was actually talking about the serif, but okay. Yeah. But my thing is they, f- I didn't they realize you threw it in Mackie. Yeah. They know how to feed off of an energy. And if there's any moment for them to really, you know, put their head down and get to it, it's now where yeah, 90% of their tournaments are on home soil from yeah. Cincinnati, US Open, um, even to those smaller tournaments. This is their time. Yeah. Like, I'm looking at this, ha- like, four tournaments in August, only one of them is not in the US and it's still North America. Yeah. No, makes sense. Um, and then that, and it's just that that momentum carries. Yeah. Well, now I'm I'm starting to rethink my Eubanks pick, to be honest, because I just saw another name that I'm oh, because it's so quite it's intrigued so by. It's so bad because you just look through and you and you keep scrolling, and there's more names that are just top quality players. Exactly. And I'm I'm really tempted by this name, actually. You know what? I'm gonna yeah yeah I'm gonna go for it. I'm gonna go with Yuri Lehechka. I I really like that pick. Definitely someone I was looking at as well. Yeah, and then for for the sake of time and for our editor, I will go with my women's pick straight away. Um, hmm. Oh, I just saw a name that's in the top one hundred, and I'm just like. Do I do it? I'm seeing a bunch of those. So. There's about 70. There's about 70 of them. Oh mm. boy. You know what? I'm gonna go. I'm I'm kind of lucking out again because I again I'm I'm one away from it not happening, from not being able to select this player. But I'm gonna go with. Anastasia Potipova. Strong pick. Strong. I just pick. think I just think when you have her weapons and her ability to navigate through really any situation on a tennis court, yeah. you kind of just have to go with it. And I just went best player available. So there's so many names that we could go through here. Like when I was scrolling through the name that I like when I said, you know, I didn't I didn't realize they were top hundred. Yeah, that was about Layla Fernandez, who's currently ranked at 88. Yeah. Um there's there's so many sneaky names. Um but I think I know oh there's two there's two names I'm between. And since you can't pick, I'm gonna I'm gonna voice them right now. Um do I go with form and do I go with the firepower of Alina Svitolina? Or do I go with the comeback story that everybody wants to see happen and go with Bianca Andreescu, who has been was, very strong. Yeah, I was thinking of both. Andreescu is very, very tempting, but I think, I just think the safer pick is Fidelina, and that's the one I'm going to go with. 
Andre which feels outrageous to say, given the fact that she's yeah. so fresh. Andre, yeah, Andreescu could pop off, but I think it's, I think Svitolina is a safer pick. Yeah, and I sure. have, and it has to be said, like, I think the way that Svitolina came back after having, um, her child, she is in amazing shape. Yeah, it's like she never left. And really just in a brilliant state of mind, too. Yeah. So. so, like, the mental fortitude is is there in spades. Yeah. And, I mean, it's it like I said, it's it's like she never left. Yeah. I like the pick, yeah. All right. One wild card. Now, what are we limiting this to? We need to have statues of limitation. Are we saying anyone? Free range? Or are we saying, like, can't be in the top 10 or can't be in the top 25? I think we should I think we should take out a I think we should go it has to be out of the top 25. I'm fair with I'm, I'm I agree with that. Yeah. And because you we, can decide it's so you can cheap. decide it's, with a man or a woman. It's yeah. so cheap if we go if we include top 10 because we're both going to pick top 10 players. Yeah, exactly. And well, I was trying to cheat my way through this and kind of well, not cheat, but I was hoping you would let Svitolina go unnoticed so I could nope. snag her as my wild card, but Nope. Yeah. Once I saw Svitolina's name, I was like, I'm not letting him have this. So you can obviously you can go with a man or a woman here for your wild cards suggest selection, excuse me. Just has to be outside of the top 25. And there's so many names. Like the men's side is so strong. Like Yi Bing Wu is at 90. That's ridiculous. Dominic team's not in the top 100. <laughs> that's that's even Oh God! This well, is well in the be current so rankings, tough. the yes. live rankings, he's in there. But this is going to be so tough. But um, what uh, what am I going? Yeah, well, and technically, your pick is up next. So I didn't want this. I didn't want this. Um, okay. So my thought process: I'm happy to def- to defer to you. If you have a pick in the interest of time, I'm happy to defer to you. Wow, you really just don't want to make a selection, do you? Um, because because I have I, I yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to yeah. finalize what I want to do. Yeah, well, realistically, I had a couple of different people that I was hoping you would maybe take someone off my list so I can make my job a little bit easier. <laughs> but this I have I have the same I have the same like long list in my ma- if my in my mind right now, just rifling through. You know, I might just have to go with the upside pick and I I was, you know, rethinking taking Eubanks and I went with Lahetska. There's a chance I can still get him here. Yeah. Could even throw in a Jack Draper at 81, but the health obviously is a concern. Andy Murray's playing some phenomenal tennis right now. But again, know. health is a concern. Yeah, but maybe a little bit less so. <sighs> And, you know, my heart wants me to go with Dominic team, but we can't. But, yeah. But you know what? I'm going to go. Are we going? I mean, technically, technically we can, I guess. Technically we, never we, said we couldn't go with a non top 100 player, but yeah, I'm going to play it safe. Well, as safe as I can. And I'm going to go with Chris Eubanks. Yeah, that's so fair. Um, So what I'm trying to. Okay. So, and by the way, I, on, on the women's side, I do want to throw out a couple of honorable mentions. I was looking at maybe even like a Sophia Kennan. Yep. A 
Diana Schneider, obviously yep. a name college tennis fans are familiar with. Linda Noskova. Oh, man. <laughs> Mira Andreva, Linda Fruvertova, Simona Halep, Evan Navarro. There's, there's so many players. So, so, um, so here's how I'm approaching this. Um, and I'm going to try to, you know, conserve time here because we've gone very long. Apologies, Westhoff. Um, I'm thinking about okay we're at a point where i don't think this pick like is any is a favorite to win any title like let's be real we're not at a point where any of these picks should be like a favorite to win the title yeah but you need to think about deep runs and who can hold that consistency over an elongated period of time whose game translates to hard courts well enough you know and there's so many names that I can throw out there uh, that I, that are definitely on my list. Nakashima is very sneaky at 70. Matteo Arnaldi could always do damage. Um, obviously you have the recent successes of Alexi Paparin and Alexander Vukic. Um, Matthew McDonald, always tempting. Um, JJ Wolf, again, very tempting. Um, and I mean, Echeverry, um, Bautista Goat, um, Sebi Korda is so hard not to pick. Um, but I think the bigger opening comes with the women's side in terms of deep runs. And yeah. I worry that I'm going to regret not picking Sebi Korda while I can. But I think... I don't know. I think it's gonna you, take, your it's logic gonna take, is sound that I you'd think, probably be wiser yeah. in selecting a woman. I think one deep run can set this player on a absolute like tear of momentum that could hit deep uh deep um deep runs my worry comes with the fact that health wise i'm very scared of this player it's bianca andreescu yeah it takes one good fall and she could be out for the season. Yeah, that's true. That's what scares me. And yeah. I'm I'm so tempted to take her. But how am I going to deny Sebastian Corda? Uh, oh, well, I already penciled you in for Andrescu, but if you want to make a quick change, you can. I'm just trying to think what's... Uh, I, I, I mean, both have major health concerns, have, to be honest. And They have big upside. And I think... In my- yeah. If you want my advice, and no, I'm not trying to sabotage your draft. I think we've been over this. We, what's no, good yeah. for you is good for the program, I guess. But <laughs> for you is good for yeah. the program. Yeah. God, I like a, like a college tennis coach right now. It's true though. But you know, I would, I would, if you're down to those two options, I would maybe lean Andrescu. But you do as am I, just because I think that it's more open for her. To make those deep runs, I think seven. And I going kind of to... have a, a few less questions about her than I do Corda in terms of health. I've like she's pen- healthy I've right now. Andreescu she's struggling to piece together wins. Yeah, I've penciled Andreescu on my list. I think the main thing for for this is just Sebi Corda when he gets those latter stages of a tournament. Like forget even latter stages. Actually, like even like a third or fourth round, he could be looking across the net and seeing like. A Hubi Hercatch. He could be looking across the net and seeing Novak or or Alcaraz or yeah, Medvedev, absolutely. any of those top 10, top 25 players. That's 
I think um, here's what I'm going to say. Sebi against the top 25, I don't feel as high on as Andreescu against the top 25. I agree. Because I think Andreescu, the thing is, there, like Andreescu has, has the ability to beat those top five players as well. Mm-hmm. On her day, yes, she absolutely does. Sebi, yeah. I don't, like, I I will take Andreescu over Iga that over, like, rather than Sebi over Alcaraz is my point. Yeah, so, that makes sense. Okay, well, really quickly, I'll just count off all the list. listeners. Be sure to engage with us. Let us know whose list you think is best. We'll try and put out a graphic or something on socials in a couple of days, but I'm going to go. So Richard's team, Triantec, Djokovic, Hercoc, Azarenka, uh, Ben Shelton, Svitolina, and Andrescu. My list, Sabalenka, Alcaraz, um, Musetti, Kasakina. Lahechka, Potapova, Chris Eubanks. And, you know, I think those are strong teams. I think um, I'm, I'm so scared of an Emma Raducanu. <laughs> I'm so scared of an Emma Raducanu. Um, but with that said, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of the Counterpunch. Yeah. We We've have certainly probably, taken up enough of We've probably, time, but... like, you know, um, overpassed our time. But with that said, Archit, you want to close it out? Yes. For our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who, you know, does an incredible job day in, day out, editing all of our work here at Cracked Rackets, making everything go. Be sure to tune into all social media at Cracked Rackets on Twitter and Instagram. Reach out to us on our personal accounts as well. Anything else, Richard? Yeah. And make sure to check out all the other content we have. Groskin with his 70 podcast. Um, obviously Pooch and Rachel with Overserved and the and for any reality show fans or people trying to get into reality TV, uh the Bitter Jury podcast is up and running once again. Um, so make sure you check out all of the different things going on in all of our different sectors from socials yeah. to podcasting to everything. And we're so excited to bring you more content moving forward. Yes. And obviously stay tuned for some articles from yours truly on the website. I don't want to make too many promises, but you're going to see quite a few in the next coming weeks. So be keep an eye out for that. So with that said, that's all the time we have for this week. We'll catch you guys next week. Goodbye. <laughs>